0: C4 Church. Really glad that you're joining us here this morning. Want to say hello to many of you watching and listening online. Let's just do that for a moment. One, two, three. Let's say hi to everyone watching. One, two, three. Good morning. Hello. Glad that you're with us here this morning. Well, we're coming near the end of our series out of the book of John. We're actually going to follow it right through to Good Friday, to Easter, and then to the Ascension. So if you've got your Bible this morning virtually, or physically, I'd love you to turn to John chapter 17 this morning, and that's where we're going to begin our conversation. I think all of us sitting in this room, no matter where we are in our stage of life, would agree that we are more open to people telling us truth, speaking into our life, if we know that they are our friend. Wouldn't you agree? We're more open if we know that they love us, we're more open if we know that they are for us. It gets difficult when someone tries speaking into our life and we know that we're not sure if they love us or if they're for us. In the last few weeks, I was hanging out in my house doing the domestic thing, cleaning and doing all that other stuff, and my five-year-old ran up to me, and, and I know that, that I'm a friend with my daughter at this moment. Lord, may that be forever. Uh, that she loves me and she's for me. And she said, Daddy. And I said, yes. It was sort of unexpected. She looked right at me. I said, what's, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. I, I just, and I said, what's wrong? She said, Daddy, Daddy, your hair, it's running away. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That is the best phrase ever for balding. Online, there it is. I quickly laughed and reassured her of the doctrine of the resurrection and told her that when Jesus comes back, I will have hair that Fabio will desire. And I'm not going to waste my time or money or my ego on this because it's much better later. When she said that to me, I actually, I love children, because they're so brilliant and innocent, but I knew she was not assaulting me, she was just telling me the truth. Now, if you told me that, Christian love would have to come out, so, yeah, the tweeter verse is going to go crazy. Um, But I loved about that is, I knew she was for me, she was just telling me truth. I think sometimes we forget, when we gather on a Sunday morning, that we're here to meet Jesus. And sometimes when we arrive, we come out of the craziness of our life, and, and we don't have time to stop and reflect, but, but there's a deeper thing. Sometimes we start believing in our heart of hearts that Jesus maybe isn't our friend, and maybe Jesus isn't as loving as he says, and, and maybe Jesus isn't really for us. And so when we begin to believe those subtle lies from our own accusing heart or the evil one, we begin to put up walls, and we begin not to hear what he's trying to say, but I want to start this service or this moment. In the, in the service this morning by saying look, Jesus is our friend Jesus is love and Jesus really is for us And since that is true of him, let none of us, whether we have been Christians for decades, Christians for years or months, or we're not even Christians yet, let none of us in this room or virtually online close our doors and our hearts and our minds to what he's about to say, because Jesus, who is for us, is going to come and speak truth to us, not to hurt us, but to heal us this morning. My challenge to you before I even get challenging is this. Don't close your eyes this morning. Don't close your ears. Don't, t- don't get distracted. Jesus is here and wants to meet with us at this moment. So let me pray one more prayer, and then let's get involved. My prayer to you, Jesus, is that your word would not turn void. My prayer to you, Jesus, is this. I am a guy, and I am a messed up person, and I don't want to get in your way. My greatest desire, I pray this in genuine humility, Jesus, stand in front of me as I preach. I want no one to meet anyone but Jesus this morning. God, come meet your people. Come meet people that are going to join your people. Reassure us of your friendship Reassure us of your love for us and reassure us that you are for us. Reassure us of these things so we will not resist what you have to say. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. John 17, one of the most loved, treasured, and used parts of the Bible. Many old scholars used to call this the Holy of Holies in the Bible. The inner sanctum, the very place where we see the burning heart of Christ. This called the great high priestly prayer, this is a a prayer of consecration, this actually really is the real Lord's Prayer, because he prays it. Here we see his love for us, his heart for all of us, his will, his deep desire for every generation of Christians that has existed since his ascension. Here Jesus prays. Have you ever thought about Jesus praying for you? Much of the time we don't think about it, but the Bible is clear that he does. He's called our great high priest. Jesus' prayers are perfect. Think about it. Jesus' prayers are never mixed with error or truth, full of truth or error. It's just truth. Jesus' prayers never have wrong motives. Jesus' prayers are honest, authentic, heartfelt, most exalted. They're the most holy, most powerful, most fruitful than any other prayer. Actually, never has there ever been, nor will there ever be, greater, more profound prayers than the prayers Jesus prays. Have you thought about it? The longest recorded prayer that Jesus does is here. It's being spoken in the shadow of the cross. Jesus is about to be brutally murdered. And at this moment in John, this is where he prays his longest, most profound prayer. But that shadow is not all-consuming, and that shadow is not all-powerful. Many people preach this this passage in a gloomy tone. Oh, Jesus says to the Father, things are going to get real bad, so let me cover my bases before I go. No. This is a prayer filled with tenderness, and this is is a prayer filled with triumphant expectation. This is a victory lap prayer. This is not a prayer of fading hope and unbelief. If you read John 16, what did Jesus declare to his followers just before he prays this prayer? He once again tells them he has come to be murdered and die. And he actually says to them that you are going to abandon me. He says emphatically that he is going to be stripped of friendship. He's going to be stripped of protection, stripped of clothes, stripped of dignity. Oh, he's going to be stripped of life. And yet notice the last words of Jesus before this grand prayer. John sixteen thirty two, A time is coming and in fact it has now come. Where you will be scattered each to your own homes and you will leave me all alone. But I will not be alone for my Father is with me. And then he says in verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And we all say to that, Amen. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Notice Jesus has not started the brutal experience yet. He's not been rejected by his friends yet, the 11 at least. The the people of the world have not rejected him. He has not been rejected by all of us fully yet. He has not been beaten. He has not been stripped. He has not been mocked. He has not been crucified yet. Jesus has not even gone through his trials yet. And yet Jesus already says, I have overcome the world. See, in chapter 15, Jesus gives his command of love. In chapter 16, he has his last conversation with his friends, and he says to them, even before he hits the cross, don't you worry, no one's taking my life, I'm giving it up. And oh, by the way, I have already overcome the world, and now let me pray. He prays for himself and the coming task. He prays for that first community, the original community that we all link to, and then he prays for every person that will ever meet Jesus in the future. Jesus, full of faith and full of passion and full of clear understanding, begins to intercede these ways. Father, John 17, 1, hear the word of God. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may be glorified in you. The hour, the time has come for Jesus to be murdered For Jesus to commit the ultimate act of defiance against death and Satan and sin. He has come so he might die that he might live. He has come to die so we might die and that we might live. And he has come to overcome everything that is broken in, I say this strongly, in his creation. This hour was appointed before the beginning of time, and Jesus is about to pray that this act is glorious. This act is beautiful. This is upside upside down community at its best. See, God always reverses what we think should be true. The cross, by invention, talk to any scholar who's an expert in torture; they will tell you the cross is in the top two worst ways to die. It is an instrument made to make you suffer longer. It is an instrument made to publicly humiliate you. It is an instrument that is a public show of, an extra, of a brutal death. But Jesus comes along and he declares that this, this terrible criminal's death, is going to be the epicenter of glory, the epicenter of light, the epicenter of color, the epicenter of purity, and the epicenter of holiness. Oh, Father, Jesus is praying, let us share the glory in this coming act, for we are one. It was the author of Hebrews who would later write these words, that the Son is their radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus keeps praying powerful, honest, informed prayers. For you have granted me authority, verse 2, over all people, that I might give eternal life to all of those you, Father, have given to me. Notice again, Jesus says, I have full authority over some, no, all people of all times. See, if Jesus was not God in flesh, this statement is crazy, lunacy, demonically inspired, drug-induced, but it's not. Jesus actually is God in flesh, and so he declares 2,000 years ago, he has authority, lordship over everybody And he prays back to the Father, since you have given me power, I will give eternal life to those that you choose to give to me. It's what he taught in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. If you are drawn, you will be raised. Now again, he's praying this under the shadow of the cross. He already sees that victory is coming. The cross is victory. It's not defeat. The outworking of this most glorious act is Jesus giving eternal life to those that God the Father gives Him. Now here's the question. What is eternal life? What is the good news of Christianity? What is the thing that we for 2,000 years have proclaimed all around the world? Well, here it is. Here is the tweetable moment. Right here, verse 3. Now, this is eternal life. If you want to know what it is, here it is. That they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To get eternal life, to walk in eternal life now, and to walk continually, is to know God through Jesus, period. The implications, of course, are massive. One, there is only one God. There are not many gods. There are not many deities in the created universe. There is one. And the only way to have relationship with our creator who is one is through the only revelation he has chosen to do. What's that revelation? His name is Jesus Christ. It is impossible to know God in any other way that we would choose. To know God, you must know the one he sent, and the one he has sent is Jesus Christ. Remember what it means to believe as Christians. Believe is not knowing about Jesus, the historicity of Jesus, that he walked around. No, no. Knowing Jesus is relational. It is intimate. It is connection. I have brought you glory, he says, on earth by finishing the work you gave me. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory, I love this, I had with you before the world began. I've done everything you've asked, Dad. It's done. Go team. Now, as I do this final act on the cross, I want to share in the glory I had before the beginning of all things with you in eternity. Evil men are about to betray me. My friends are going to be scattered. The world is going to scream out at the top of its lungs, we do not want you We do not want life or light. The the nation of Israel, the people who have the word of God, will reject the word of God. The Romans will actually declare that he is worth nothing. And demons and all of Satan's hordes will gloat because he is going to be defeated. And yet at this moment, Jesus says, oh God, Father, bring me our glory. Don't miss this claim this morning. See, to share God's glory, you have to be God. The Bible is clear. God does not share his glory with another. And so Jesus prays, I want that glory. And if he is not God, he is a blasphemer. But if he is God, he has the right to share in in his glory. That is why this prayer is a bold, truth-filled declaration that Jesus is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. So Jesus actually is God. We sense a homesickness in Jesus. Jesus wants to go back home, the place where his father is, heaven, that place of unity, peace, purity, the place where God within himself has the greatest measure of unity within him. How much Jesus gave up so we would know who God was and is. How could we know about salvation? How could we have eternal life unless God himself came for us? One wrote, think of what he gave up to take on human flesh and to suffer the worst of human afflictions. Think of what Jesus left behind when he departed heaven to be born in Bethlehem, and then 33 years later to die 10 miles away from Bethlehem, to to be born in the most humbling circumstances and to actually die in the most humiliating way. And then the author says, but glory be to God that Jesus did not depart this earth in humiliation. No, no. He completes his task and then conquers death and he departs in glory. Jesus says, Dad, the time has come. Let's reverse the world on its head. He doesn't just pray for himself. He suddenly turns his prayers at this key divine moment and he prays for the original community that have followed him. These men and, and a group of women, but specifically these 11 that have given up everything. They've, they've watched him, they've, they've followed him. And think about it, they've depended so much on Jesus. See, they were able to roll over every morning and say, Jesus, I have a theological question, could you answer it? Every morning they could have a Starbucks and say, please, please tell me about the Trinity. See, they could do that, but not anymore. The very thing that they are about to lose is Him. I've revealed you to those you gave me out of the world, Jesus prays, verse 6. They're yours, and you gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything that has been given to me comes actually from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. God gave Jesus those disciples. And they move from unbelief to understanding to questioning to actually believing on Jesus himself. They have moved from accepting his words and accepting his claims to really believing, yeah, this guy is God in flesh. They were saying that this 33-year-old man, born in Bethlehem, the guy who grew up in Nazareth, the guy whose dad was a carpenter, he's actually God in flesh. And by teaching side word and deed, he is the savior of the world. Yes, he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world, the resurrection and the life. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the great I am. He is the same God that walked with Moses. We believe with confidence. Again, let me remind you what believing means. It does not mean to perceive or recognize alone. It means to understand, to exchange ideas and values. That is why the Bible continually uses the word know about sexual contact, intimacy, because it is a big difference to know about something and know them. And the Bible is saying to truly know God, not in a sexual way, but in an intimate way, you have to truly know, believe, relationship. And he is praying that these 11 now have that. He says, I pray for them. I'm not going to pray for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. This isn't saying that Jesus doesn't pray for the world. John 3.16 is still in effect, everyone. The focus of our prayers, his prayer, is on this inner circle. But let me tell you why. Lean in and listen. He knows that this perfect appeal in intercession is needed. Why? Because these 11 men have the potential, these broken, sinful, denying men, just like all of us, have the potential to abort, to kill God's master plan of telling all of us about God. Don't you understand, without Jesus' perfect intercession, his church always fails. Jesus understands the power of what he's about to do through them because he's about to send them into the world so the rest of the world gets to know who God is through Jesus just like they have. And he prays, oh God, I'm praying for them because the whole world is at stake at this moment. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father, and protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None of them have been lost except the one doomed to destruction, that was Judas, so the scripture would be fulfilled. You know, we as North Americans don't catch the power of this, but see, a name represented all a person did, all a person was, and what they would do. And this is Jesus' prayer, Dad, I'm coming home, and you protected them under your name and, and the name you gave me. By the way, did you just catch that? Did you notice that Jesus wasn't Jesus before he was born? Hold on, heresy check, hold on. Of course he's the second person of the Trinity, he's always been the son of God, he's always existed but his name was not Jesus until he was born God gives Jesus' name to him and he's saying that now under that name they will be protected. That is why Paul writes in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him, gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we all say a big Amen. Do you catch this though? Watch this. Jesus, that is the name given by God the Father to Jesus when he was born. And he's saying, now under that name, which I now hold forever, which means Savior and Protector, guard them. The idea of keeping is a shepherding image. Living in hostility, but guarding in the amongst wolves. He prays this too for the eleven. Watch it. I pray there'd be one. See, Jesus knew what we'd face and what they'd face. He knew we'd be full of trials. Some of us would die for our faith. We'd all struggle with sin. He knew we'd attack each other. That we'd fight over what mode of baptism was really right. He knew we'd fight over worship styles the Gaithers would face down the Hillsong people. (laughs) Right, everyone? And then let's throw in Gregorian chants because none of you know what those are. But yes... He knew we'd fight over the color of carpet in our church. He knew that we'd fight, listen, Jesus prays, keep them together, keep them unified. And do you notice his prayer this morning? His prayer for the original foundation of our church, the 11 apostles. He prays that their oneness would not be about them, but about him. See, he knows that we will cannibalize each other and attack each other and violate each other all in the name of God. But he prays something deeper. He says, I pray that unity in the church will be based on me and my father, not on them. They can't handle the oneness I'm going to build in them. See, if it's not about him, we turn. I'm coming to you now. And I say these things while I'm still in the world so they may be filled with a measure of joy. I give them uh, your word and your word the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And then Jesus prays this. My prayer is not... My prayer, let me say it, is not. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus prays a prayer that violates many of your understandings of church and prays a prayer that violates much of North Americans' understanding of church. See, we are not allowed to run from the world. Jesus says no, and he prays a perfect prayer against the very thing we think he wants us to do. Moses wanted to run. Elijah wanted to run. Jonah wanted to run. And God said, No, no, no. God does not allow his people to run. No holy clubs. We are called to live within the world, and God will protect us as we are there. We want a womb to tomb Christian experience, safe and sanitary, Christian all the time, Christian radio stations and Christian schools and Christian. Listen, Jesus says, Into the world you go. Safety is not our movement's motto. The cross is. We cannot be the separated ones. We cannot run to the monastic worldview and avoid the darkness and pain of the world. We cannot only know Christians. We have to be among them. It was Rebecca Pipprit, yes. A woman from my parents' generation who wrote a book out of the salt shaker in the 70s for university students who said, how strange we've become as a movement and, and she says we must not become rabbit hole Christians who 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 you know pop up their head and then go back down she says can you imagine this she gives the example can you imagine a Christian roommate in the morning at university scurrying to class only to frantically search for the only Christian to sit by an odd way she writes to approach a mission field and then he proceeds from class to class, and then when dinner comes, he sits with Christians in his dorm at one huge table and thanks God, oh, what a witness I am. And then he goes to his all-Christian Bible study, and then he might even catch a prayer meeting that's sort of, you know, okay, because they're praying for non-believers by name. But what luck he writes, you know, and thinks, because I'm actually uh, on this dorm, and in this dorm there's 17 Christians, actually we're all Christians, what, a, what an answer to my prayers. And then at night, he scurries back to his Christian roommate safe. See, he made it through the day, she writes, and, he's, and his only contacts with the world were those mad, brave dashes from Christian activity to Christian activity. She says, What an insidious, what an insidious reversal of the biblical command to be salt and a light in a world that needs Jesus. Jesus prays, Oh God, keep them in the garbage and the crap, but in your name. Protect them so they do not accommodate. Catch this. Jesus has no time for accommodation and Jesus has no time for isolation. See, this is what he says right here in verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I'm not. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I now send them into the world. For I sanctify them myself so they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctification is the old word for holiness, to be set apart and to be made without sin. And Jesus is saying, look... My prayer, Dad, is this, that A, that they will be set apart for mission. They're going to join our mission into a dark world. And, oh, by the way, as they read the Scriptures, they will become holy and more holy because they will know what our will is and they will be sent out. Jesus says, as they are living in the midst of pitch black, make them light and sanctify them by their word and our word. See, this is powerful. Powerful. Jesus prays to the Father about the coming cross. Jesus prays about that original circle of 11 and those who are relationally connected. But then Jesus does something so beautiful. See, he prays for all of us in this room. And many of you watching online, at this moment we suddenly see our great historical and spiritual connection to the whole church throughout all of time. See, C4, we're nothing. We're a drop in the bucket called church. There are billions of us. And we're only one part of the grand stream of 2,000 years. And Jesus prays over that whole stream and says, My prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Don't you understand the power? I'm sitting here in 2013. I'm preaching out of the book of John. One of the 11 that Jesus prayed for. And many of us have believed on John's word to meet Jesus. His prayers are being answered. Beautiful. And he says here, I pray for all of those that will believe. Insert your name here. Jesus was praying, I pray for Jonathan David Thompson, who will be born in 1975 in a place called the Schwa, whatever that is. (laughs) And Jesus prayed for me that I would be a faithful follower of Jesus in this time and in this generation. And he prayed it for you too. He prayed that for my great grandmother. He prayed that for my great-great-grandfather too. I love that our master is not bound by time. And he says here these words, I pray that all these people who are going to follow me, that they will be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you have given to me, that they may be one as we are one, and I am in them and you are in me, so that may, they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know, the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Look at the power and the danger of what's being prayed here. He's praying that we're all going to love each other. So the world actually sees that what we believe is true. But here's the question this morning. What is Christian unity really all about? Because his grand prayer for us is unity. So the question is, what is unity? Well, I was reading Swindoll this week, and I love what he said. First of all, he preached, unity is not, nor ever will it be, uniformity. In the military, you look the same, you dress the same, you salute the same. Not in the body of Christ. We all have different spiritual gifts coming from different backgrounds. He says just think about church history. Saul who becomes Paul, who's a PhD in Jewish Pharisaic understanding. And then there's Luke who's not actually a Jew and he's a doctor and a historian and then in the church fathers Tertullian, this passionate, fiery, logical, zealous guy and then Augustine and then you've got Bernard of Clairvaux who's French monk who's penning these unbelievable hymns out of the monastery. And then John Wycliffe in another generation, the morning star of the Reformation, who dies for writing the Bible in English so people could actually know who Jesus was. And then George Whitfield, who's a Calvinist, who through the Anglican church brought millions and his best friend, then enemy, then friend again, because he learned about love. John Wesley, an Arminian, who founds the Methodists. And then Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. And Moody, who's uneducated and not Baptist, At all, who founds a college and publishing house, insert your name here. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is based on the one we all have met Jesus, who reveals the Father, who possesses us by the Spirit, the Holy Triune God. Unity is not uniformity. Jesus is not praying for that. Jesus is not praying through unity and unanimity. Unanimity says you have to agree with everyone on everything. If that is true, we're all done. We need to agree on the fundamentals of our faith. But we also have to freedom to disagree with each other on secondary issues and not forfeit love with each other. If we have to agree on everything, we'll never get on with the mission of the church. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not unanimity. And unity is not unification. He writes, I don't think Jesus is half as disturbed as most people are about denominations. The matter in some ways, believers break away from each other's is not admirable, actually sinful or prideful. Some doctrines are definitely not as pure as others, that's for sure. But the concept of churches differenting on, on non-essential matters... And and keeping distinct distinct identities doesn't endanger our unity. Let me add, actually, I think it shows Jesus is at work because we will catch more people with more diversity. Some extremists, it's true, seek reasons to separate. Some believers can't distinguish between essential and non-essentials, and they are arrogant and prideful. But you know what? Here's the truth. Jesus is working through all churches that love Scripture and love him. Do I agree with the Salvation Army down the street on everything? No. I think they're wrong on baptism and communion. I'd still hug them, pray with them, and do evangelism with them. Are you joking me? They've been the best witness to many people for a hundred years. My Pentecostal friends, hands up, they're good. I love them. I think they're dead wrong on the issue of tongues, that everyone's supposed to speak in tongues. I tell them all the time. But, but, Does does that say that I'm better than them? No, they're my brothers and sisters. Don't we understand this is the brilliance? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They all, three persons, share one essence or God. So is this not the idea? Even the God we worship is holy, diverse, community, in unity. Would not his church look the same? I think so. Our unity is found in Jesus Christ. Our unity is found in the non-negotiables of our faith. Our unity is found in our mission to tell the rest of the world that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and the only hope of mankind. And that's what Jesus prays for his whole church. And then notice what he also prays, not only for doctrinal unity, he also prays for something else. He prays for attitudinal unity. He says, God, as you've loved me, Father, and I've loved you, now I want them to uh uh-oh, love each other. See, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to beg you, I mean that word appropriately, to go listen to last week's message. See, here's what Jesus prays, not only that we'd be unified through the one we know, but we would actually demonstrate unity in churches and between churches by loving each other. Oh, and what is love again? Let me remind all of us, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud, it does not, oh here's a big one, dishonor other people, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps No record of wrongs. Love never delights in evil, rejoices with truth, protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Do you think our relationship with other churches would be stronger if that was our attitude first? Do you think that this church would be more and more and more like Jesus if this became the standard and this became the prayer request of all of us individually as a church to say, Jesus, make us this. Of course the answer is yes. Jesus prays for his church over centuries, praying that they'd be full of biblical love and prays not only for biblical love but doctrinal love and that they'd be brought together and he does not stop there. Jesus keeps praying and he says, I don't only want to pray for their presence in their time, I pray for their future too. He says in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am And to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you've loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus prays about our eternal security. It's what we learned in John 14. My dad's house has got lots of rooms. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you, right? Remember I talked about this a few weeks ago. That in this culture, when a young man decided to get married to a woman... What he would do is he'd get get engaged, and then there was a betrothal period where he wouldn't see her. He'd have to wait. Okay, good call. And then he'd come, and he'd go back to his dad's house, and he'd build a whole new wing on his dad's house. And then he'd go back to the wedding ceremony, meet his new wife, they'd get married, and he'd bring her home, the bride, into the new wing of his dad's house. Aren't we called the bride of what? Christ? Here's what he's praying. He says, I'm praying not only for how they're going to be with each other and in the world. I am praying for their future. I want all of them who know me to come home and be with us. That is my ultimate prayer. Jesus is our friend. Jesus loves us. And Jesus, according to this prayer, is definitely for all of us. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus ends this profound prayer he says, Righteous Father, the world doesn't know you. I know you, and and they know you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue. This is talking about us, by the way. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me actually may be in, say it loud, them. And that I myself may be in them. See, Jesus ends his prayer with a vow and a promise. And we see the truth and the secret of the Christian life. Here it is, everyone. Truth, to love, to know, to be in mission, to become an answer to Jesus' grand prayer is this. He actually lives in us. And as Jesus lives in us, he brings the same love shared between the Father and the Son into our experience. And he prays that our love would be ever increasing with eyes wide open. Jesus' prayer is such a prayer, pray such a prayer, that we animated dust, that we humans only made in the image of God, we broken, we sinful, we unfaithful people, get ushered actually into a conversation in the Holy Trinity between the Father and the Son, bound together by the Spirit. And what do we hear in the inner dialogue of God himself? This is what we hear, oh, how I love my creation, how I am for my people. That is the ultimate, ultimate prayer of God within himself. That he loves you. What do we learn from this prayer? What's the take home? Well, number one, I want to remind all of you. I was aptly, by the way, led by Dan and by Gary. That this prayer is over you today. Whether you are in later parts of your life facing death you have just become a Christian, you are young, you're in your 20s, you're a teen. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are, this prayer is ushered and spoken over you. And I want to remind you again, as your pastor, what he prays for you. He prays for your security, that you would be kept eternally in his hand. He prays that you would be protected from the full power of Satan. This is Jesus' perfect prayer. He prays for your holiness, that you would live a holy life. He prays for courage, that you would not run from the world, but you would learn how to live in the world. He prays for your unity with other Christians, that you'd be right seeing and right believing, and you'd actually love other believers, though you don't naturally do it, that this would happen. He prays for a genuine proof of existence of faith Through obedience. I mean, see, this is what Jesus not only prayed for you 2,000 years ago, let me say with assurance, He's still praying this prayer right now in the heavenlies. This is what Jesus prays over you. And if you're wondering if Jesus is for you or loves you or is your friend, this is the answer given by God to you this morning Yes, He is. But there's something deeper. What have we learned about prayer, C4? Have we not as a community learned in the last three weeks that Jesus told his community time and time again, if you come to me and you pray anything he says in my name and it gives God's glory, what will happen? It will be answered, right? Is this what we've learned? If the prayer is for God's glory under the name of Jesus, it is a guaranteed prayer. Okay. I've got good news, everyone. Do you want to know what to pray now for our church every day a perfect prayer right here Here's what we should start praying, and I'm not saying just forget about this. No, no. I'm, dead. I'm, I'm asking you. I'm imploring you to do this. Jesus prays a perfect prayer for us, so we can go now and kneel beside Jesus and pray the same prayer, and we should expect and can expect an absolute answer. Why? Because Jesus prays a God-honoring prayer in his name for us. So here's what we should start doing. Jesus, I pray for the security of C4, that you will keep us eternally, that we will know that we are held and keep us from the full power of Satan. And God the Father will say, God, we say, God, hear our prayer. And the Father's going to say, I hear that. I agree with that. That is a perfect prayer. It shall be done over C4. This is a confidence you can pray about. You're not talking about whether your RSPs are working it or not. No, no. This is a prayer that we know that we know. you can say, God, I pray over C4 for our holiness, that our church would be sanctified, that we'd welcome the lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that whatever you need to do in C4 to make us holy, you do it. And God the Father is going to hear that and says, yes, I agree with that prayer because my son prayed it. You're in agreement. It shall be done, and I will expect as a pastor more holiness to show up in this church. You can pray for courage. Oh, God, Begin to erode the fear in this church of actually living among those who do not know Jesus yet. Oh God, give this church courage. Oh God, help us to live among those who need light. And God the Father will hear it and he will say, yes, it will be done. And my expectation is this church will move from people just gathering to people who begin to start bringing this. No, no, pray this because God will answer this. You can pray God I pray for our unity at C4 not on my own conditions on yours I pray in C4 that we will be doctrinally pure and also I pray that we will love each other I pray this God hear my prayer and God the Father in heaven's going to go that as a perfect prayer because my son uttered it we are in all agreement and I will expect to see more love in this church more unity in this church and more understanding in this church and more obedience in this church see if we continually want to see God Do a new thing and perpetuate the new thing that has begun. Let this church rally around John 17 and pray it and pray it and pray it until we see it. Because God has said to us, if you pray things that are for my glory and they really are about my will and you do them in my son's name, it shall be done. This church, like every church, has an opportunity to join Jesus in his prayers and the expectation will be the answer. The question is, do you want answers to these prayers or do they scare you too much? I'll tell you this, they scare me, but I want them. And I'll tell you why I want them, and I end here. Because Jesus prays all this stuff for us so other people get to see Jesus. I want, I want to say that again. If you've just lost my train of thought, just come right on back here. Jesus prays all of this so other people meet him. What did he say? Let me just read the scriptures one last time to you before I'm done. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all who will believe in me through their message, that's us. And all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, and here it is. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Here's why we desperately need to pray for revival and continue to pray for this is because the more this happens, Jesus says the more the world will actually believe on Jesus. Here is the greatest affront to our selfishness as a church where we go, I'm not really interested in being changed and heaven cries out with holy tears, why would you not want to be changed? People are going to hell and you need to be changed so the world can see my son. The reason why we're praying for a new move of God among us, the reason why we must pray for love among us, the reason why we must know that God is for us and he is loving and he is our friend is because the eternity of Ajax, the eternity of Whippy and Oshawa and Pickering and Durham is connected to these prayers and the outworking of these prayers in us. Oh God, I pray this over this church, make us so desperate for people to know you that you would change us and we'd be willing to be changed oh god hear our prayer make me john thompson and make this whole church in such an uncomfortable state that we realize that your prayers for us must be fulfilled because it's connected to the mission the reason the purpose of why we are here god help us to know your love god help us to know that you are for us And oh Jesus, break us, break us by your prayers so the world can know that you have been sent so eternity can be given to so many others. We join with the prayers of Jesus. And though this is a moment in a service, I mean, I mean it, Jesus. I join with your prayers for me, my wife, my three kids, my family, and my extended family here. Do this, oh Lord, so then on Judgment Day we will stand beside many, many others who met you also. Amen.